everybody a good morning, a happy Sabbath. It's um, glad to be able to reach you with technology. Uh, it's hard. It's hard right now because many of us are feeling isolated. Many of us are feeling like we are being um, isolated. We're stuck in our homes. We're not supposed to leave. Um, we have this opportunity or this method, this technology that we can communicate uh, back and forth. You know, I think one of the big lessons that we are going to learn from all of this is how rapidly things can change. A little bit over four weeks ago, I was doing a series down in Janesville. Uh, there was, it was being well attended. Things were going really well. We were entering into the very final week of the meetings and everything got closed off. Everything was done. And then the next series I was supposed to do, I was supposed to start on the 2nd of April. That got canceled the uh, regulations that are out there that we can't meet together. And I'm not condemning the regulations. I think they're important that the, you know, we can keep separate, we can get this thing stopped so our medical system isn't overwhelmed. But it does make things to be rather difficult for us. And it is, uh, you know, we get that feeling of that we're in here all by ourselves. But thankfully we have the technology today that we can do things like this. Um, and by the way, speaking of technology, uh, next week, I think we're going to be able to do this video. I, I should be able to have this done on video. It will be played on the radio as well, but this should be able to be done on video, and I think that'll help things a lot. But I've got to tell you, I am really looking forward to be able to get in front of you and stand and meet you and shake your hands, especially Marshfield. I've been to Wisconsin Rapids a number of times, but Marshfield I've never been to. I'm looking forward to meeting everybody uh, over there. So, uh, uh, but keep hope, keep hope, don't lose your faith, just uh, don't get too discouraged. This is going to end, it's just a matter of time, this will pass, and we will, uh, we will make it through this. I actually had a completely different sermon that I planned on preaching. I was over at the, uh, the uh, church in Wausau on, on Wednesday, and I, we were talking about this, and I was looking at what we would have to do to be able to stream live the, uh, the sermons and what equipment we would have to get. And uh, the pastor looked at me, he goes, yeah, he said, I had a completely different sermon planned as well as I did. I already had a sermon in mind that I wanted to preach for today. But um, he said, I realize it was Easter weekend. And I thought, oh my, with all this, I forgot completely about that we're going into the Easter. You know, people are going to be remembering the resurrection. And so I had to completely change directions and, uh, and do something else here for today. Well, listen, before we get into the, uh, um, the sermon this morning, I just want to, uh, let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you now and just ask that you would be with us. As we contemplate what has happened, we look at some of the history, but we look at what Jesus has done for us and how important it is that we remember that he gave his sacrifice willingly for each of us. And so, Father, I pray that as we open your word together this morning, that you will speak to us. Your Holy Spirit will come in and use me as an instrument. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears, especially today, as this is only an audio presentation. Father, give us the ears that we can hear. But, Father, may your Holy Spirit take it to our hearts, and may we just come to you. May we recommit our lives to you. May we rededicate our purpose for you and for your work. And so, Father, bless us now. Guide us in this study, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Things that I 
Anytime there's a holiday, I'm really not much of a holiday preacher, but one of the things I like to remind people is that um, you know, a lot of these holidays that we keep, or really there's no biblical basis for them whatsoever, um, especially the most two well-attended holidays in the Christian world is Easter and Christmas, and neither one of those find their roots in the Bible at all. In fact, if you really look at it, they actually come from paganism. Uh, the one holiday that we do keep that does have some kind of a Christian basis in it then would be Thanksgiving, of course. That's um, uh, where, you know, the harvest is in and you're thankful to God that, you know, there's, we have food that'll get us through the winter. We can, you know, we're good for another year of life. But it was Easter and Christmas were holidays that came in. And really it was, um, uh, I've got something I want to share with you about the, the order that. Uh, Easter was originally the celebration of Ishtar. Uh, Ishtar was the Assyrian and Babylonian goddess of fertility. And let's use the word since there might be young children listening. Uh, her symbols, things like the, the bunny, the Easter bunny, um, and the egg. These are symbols of fertility. When you think of the rabbits, you know, right away, you think, well, they can reproduce rather quickly. Um, and they still are symbols of fertility and sensuality uh, today. Uh, one of the things that people have asked me during a series of meetings is, what in the world does, does do rabbits, you know, the Easter bunny and, and eggs have to do with the resurrection? And I can tell them absolutely nothing. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. But it wasn't until after Constantine decided to, to accept Christianity as the official religion of the empire or made a legal religion that the days, they started incorporating these feast days and Christianizing them, so-called, into their yearly calendar. Uh, but at its roots, uh, Easter, which is now, uh, that's how you pronounce, actually how you pronounce Ishtar, Ishtar is spelled I-S-H-T-A-R. Uh, it's really about celebrating fertility. And their, their worship services were very erotic. They were just, they were, um, uh, and so that part was changed. But really the roots of it always goes back to paganism. Uh, how they calculate which Sunday of the year is Easter. Uh, it happened actually in 325, this is A.D., at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, it was there that it was established that Easter would be held on the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the vernal equinox, or that's what we re would refer to as the first day of spring. Uh, from that point forward, the Easter date depends on the ecclesiastical approximation of March 21st for the vernal equinox. So it would have to be after the first full, the first Sunday after the first full moon after that. Now, Easter is delayed by one week if the full moon is on a Sunday. And that way it decreases uh, the chances of it falling on the same day as the Jewish Passover. Uh, Easter can be as early in the year as March 22nd, and it can be as late in the year as 25th. And so you can have over a month difference between from one year uh, to another. And so that's how they came up with Easter. Just a little bit of, of uh, uh, historical trivia for you in case you ever need that uh, someplace. <clears throat> I want to change gears here now, and I want to go back to a time uh, a number of years ago, actually to uh, 2004. Uh, there was a movie that was released that year by Mel Gibson. He's a, some of you may know who he is. It was called The Passion of the Christ, and that's where I got the title for today's sermon. 
Uh, my oldest son was home from the academy. I was serving down in southwestern Missouri, actually the far southwestern corner of Missouri. Uh, my son was going to the academy here in Wisconsin, and so he flew home for his 18th birthday. And so we flew him home. We wanted to spend that time with him. And when he got there, he started telling me about this movie that Mel Gibson the Passion, had produced, The Passion of the Christ. And so we, um, he wanted me to take him to that, and I really didn't want to go to a movie. I hadn't been to a movie in decades. I really didn't have any desire to go to a movie, but he really, really wanted to see this. And, and so I finally, I, relent, I gave in, I suppose you could say, and uh, we decided that we would go to this. It's interesting leading up to it, all the controversy that was going on. Um, there was, you know, it seems like anytime someone uh, makes a movie that is either tries to be based on the life of Jesus or on some biblical subject, the critics come out of the woodwork to try and keep people from attending it. Uh, in this particular case, they said the movie would be an absolute failure. Uh, Mel Gibson invested actually $25 million own money and that he would lose all of that. And of course, we know that it didn't turn out that way. It was the exact opposite. It was a huge, huge success as far as financially. And they were very silent. They never said a word about it after that. They complained that the movie was too violent. Now think about this for a moment. Here you've got the Hollywood. Hollywood, the critics of Hollywood were condemning the movie about the crucifixion of Jesus as being violent. I mean, Hollywood, which can't do anything without immorality and violence in it, doesn't seem. And they were the ones that were the highest critics of Mel Gibson's film. So why would they find objection to this film? They can show people being blown up, being dismembered. I mean, horrible scenes that are on there which are not fit for any human being to look at. They will say that's okay. But when it comes to the passion of the Christ, they had moral objection to it. And I've thought about that. I've thought about that, and I've thought about how in the world, how in the world, why? Why would they be this way? And you know, the, one of the answers, I think, is that most people, I think, that are especially raised in the United States, because the United States is, is, has Christian roots to it, but most people in the United States, I think way down deep, they know why Jesus was crucified. And you see, and when something like this comes along, they come face to face. They come face to face with the reality of why they're there, who they are, and what Jesus really did. And you see, when people are faced with what their sins have cost, they either accept Christ and his sacrifice he offers, or they rebel against the free gift that he offers them. Well, there were, I read a number of eyewitness accounts about the movie, and it was rather interesting. In fact, one, in one case, a lady had a heart attack. 20 minutes into the movie, she had a heart attack. But the responses of the people as they, were, as, the, as they would leave the theater, they were in a state of shock almost. Because seeing the brutality of what took place, in fact, one doctor that he had studied the options, and he has said that this was actually a very accurate depiction of what happens to a person who is crucified. 
Well, Josh and I, we went to the movie, and as we walked into the theater, we, and I'm not telling anybody you should be going to movies. That's not what <laughs> I want to infer that at all. Uh, this was really an exception that I made. Um, and in a way, I'm glad I went. Uh, it really reinforced uh, something with my son. But as we went in there, it was typical of what I remembered from decades before. People come in, you're into the lobby, there's all the concessions that are being sold, and people are buying popcorn and whatever else that they buy there. But there was a, a level of noise that was going, people were talking and laughing and joking, and just a typical thing that you would expect going into there. So we walked through, we didn't buy anything, we walked through, we went, we sat down, we waited for the movie to start. When the, the theater darkened and the, the screen went apart or the curtains went apart and the screen began to light up, there were no previews. There was nothing about coming attractions, nothing like that. It went right into the movie and a hush fell on that entire crowd. Now the theater was full. It was a full house that night. I don't know if every single seat was filled, but there weren't a whole lot of empty seats. But there was absolutely no noise, no stirring. People weren't getting up, nothing. And it went right into the movie. And for the next two hours, our senses were assaulted by the brutality, the hatred, the vehemence that were aimed at one man. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that Mel Gibson is Roman Catholic, and so he was coming at this from a Catholic perspective, which they believe it's not just the death of Jesus that brought our forgiveness. It was the amount of suffering that no human being has ever suffered as much as what Jesus did. Well, when you take into consideration this is the only human being ever experienced full separation from God, I suppose there's some evidence to that, but the physical suffering is not what killed Jesus, my friends. That's not what killed him. It was the separation of his father. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, that's what it was. That's why when, 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 the, father away, when the father pulled away, and Jesus, for the first time in eternity, he felt a separation from his father. First time in all of eternity. It just came from the, from the depth of his soul. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we watched this, this movie together. When the movie was over, we sat there as well as every, nobody got up when the movie was over. They stayed until all the credits were played. There wasn't a noise, not a sound in that theater. People were stunned by what they had seen. Finally, the credits were done. The lights came on. We got up along with everybody else and we began to file out of that theater. And as we went out to the parking lot, we never said a word to each other until we got into the vehicle. And he looked at me and he just says, Dad, I don't think mom should see this. I said, you're right. I don't think your mother should see this either. And then we drove home in silence, and we never spoke again until after we got in the house. In fact, that night we did not communicate very much at all. You know, <clears throat> we are living in a, a time in America like we have never experienced before. There is a decline in morality it's beyond our description. Things have been taking place in the past. 
that are that if somebody would have told us this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, we would have never believed it. You know, America is struggling for its moral compass. It seems like they've like they've thrown the compass out, the map out, and they're just floundering now. Now, I don't believe that's going to stay that way, but I think that's one of the reasons there was so much objection to the movie. You know, if you haven't read the last four chapters of the gospel lately, I would encourage you to that. You know, we're told we should spend a thoughtful hour each day on the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. You know, there are 89 chapters in those four Gospels. <clears throat> 27 of them, 27 of them, almost one-third of the Gospels is dedicated the very final week of Jesus' life. Isaiah, Isaiah gave us a glimpse into what was going to happen to the Messiah when he came. And I invite you to open your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read all of Isaiah 53. There's only 12 verses in, in that entire chapter. But we're going to read those together here this morning, and I'll comment on those some as we go on in our, uh, in our sermon here, our time here together this morning. But in verse 1, Isaiah says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking about the Messiah, shall grow up before him, speaking of the Father, as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness, and we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, when Jesus was on the earth and he would go out and speak, thousands and thousands crowd out so that they could watch, they could listen to him. But it wasn't because of what he looked. There was no form of him. He was, a, he was a common person. There was nothing about him that would stand out except for his character. Because, you see, people weren't drawn to Jesus because he had this, this, this beauty about him. They were drawn to him because they saw in him a character that they had never seen in anyone before. And he could speak of the knowledge of God from firsthand experience. You see, it wasn't theory that they were listening to. They were listening to the real deal. And that's why people would go to him. That's why Isaiah says, he has no form or calmness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. See, Isaiah, being impressed by the Holy Spirit, looking down through the, through the time, the years of time, he could understand what the Messiah was going to be really all about. But then verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and with grief. And we hid as were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. You see, for the majority of leaders, they, they, they had no desire for him. In fact, they totally rejected him to the point where Caiaphas would say, it is better that one would die than for the nation to perish. Isaiah continues on in verse 4. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isn't it amazing how human nature is? 
that when we don't want to accept truth, we will find any excuse that we can to pin on that truth so that we don't accept it. Being an evangelist, I hear some of the most absurd reasons why people don't want to accept the truths of the Bible. Really absurd reasons. In fact, I'll even ask them, I said, now, does that really, really make sense to you? And they'll walk away. They won't answer. He said, but he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. Now, the word iniquities in the original means lawlessness. You see, for our rejection of the law, for our turning away from the law, that is what sin is. That's why Jesus died. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And then Isaiah makes a very profound statement. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore it all. That, my brothers and sisters, is what killed the Son of God. Because sin separates us, you see, and the Father had to pull away because of the sin that was laid on His Son. He had to pull away from that. And Jesus could not sense His Father's presence any longer. And that is what caused Him to die. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. When you see this written here, it says he was cut off from the land of the living. That's a direct carryover to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26 where it says that the Messiah would be cut off in the midst of the week. Verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And that's exactly what happened. Because he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering of sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, and by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall hide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. See, Isaiah, the gospel prophet, was really here explaining the work of the Messiah. I encourage you again to read those last chapters of the gospels. You know, the movie, <clears throat> I want to go back to that moment as we watched the brutality of it. It spent two hours on the brutality of it and only spent about one minute on the resurrection. But you know, brothers and sisters, if it were not for the resurrection, you and I would be the most miserable. 
It's the fact that Jesus rose again. That that's why Paul refers to the resurrection as the blessed hope. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, he says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, that's not risen. Now listen to what he says in verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now he's risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. You know, as I, I thought about this, I thought about the death, the burial, the which at this time of the year, you know, we may not keep Easter Sunday but brothers and sisters, it's very important that we remember what took place on those days so many years ago in AD 31. When Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. That's our hope. But as I think about this, and I think about the theology that went into the making of this, I have to ask myself, <clears throat> was the brutality of the crucifixion, was that really the passion of the Christ? No, I'm not belittling or I'm not downplaying the amount of suffering Jesus really suffered. I mean, he, it, you know, the physical suffering was incredible. But does our salvation really have to do with the amount of suffering that Jesus had that day? And so I have to ask myself, the sermon is titled The Passion of the Christ. I have to ask myself, then what really is the passion of the Christ? And the only answer that I can come up with is simply this. You see, the passion of the Christ is you and it's me. It's every person who has ever lived. It's the souls of the men and women on this fallen planet, every person who has ever lived, ever will live. You see, that's the passion of the Christ. And Jesus could not just stand back and allow the, the, the death come to come upon us. You see, he could allow us to receive that without giving us a way out. As one Christian writer said, Christ did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. You see, Jesus didn't even want to be in heaven if we couldn't be there as well. If he couldn't have open communion with us, he would rather not even be in heaven himself. And so his passion was that you would be there with him. And so I ask myself then, is my passion the same as Jesus? Is my passion really the lost of this planet? 
Is my passion the fellow men, the, the people that I meet, the people that I see, the people that listen to me speak, the people that I run into? It's the clerk in the store. It's every person that we come into contact with. Am I as passionate about them as Jesus was or is? Am I as passionate as Jesus where he would lay down his life for them? Am I willing? You see, am I willing to lay down my life for them as well? You see, my brothers and sisters, that is the passion of the Christ. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Is that really our passion? What is it? What is our motive for being a Christian? Seeing of all the things for us to be thinking about when we think about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, of all the things for us to be thinking about what should really be foremost on our mind, is do I have that passion? Do I have the love for souls? Am I willing to be spent? Am I willing to lay down my life that someone else might have eternal life? You see, brothers and sisters, that is the passion of the Christ. It is my prayer that each and every one of us would have that very same passion that Jesus had. The passion that the early disciples had. The passion that Christians throughout the centuries have had. That they would go and they would be used in God's service. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we, you and I, may we really reflect the passion of the Christ in our daily lives. Pray with me if you would. Father, Father, as we think about what Jesus has done, what he was willing to do, and what he did do for each of us. Father, it is, it is so humbling to realize that the very one who created us became one of us that he could save us. Father, as at this time of year, so many are thinking about what Jesus did about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Oh, Lord, may each of us, may we be used by you May our characters become passionate. May our sense of existence be the salvation of others. Father, may we have that sweet character of Jesus impressed on us. And may we lead others to a saving knowledge of your grace. Father, go with us now. Bless us with your presence. Draw us to you. Use us in a way that would bring glory to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you have a good day today, that you have a blessed Sabbath, that you rest, 
that you rest in Jesus today, <clears throat> that you have time you can fellowship maybe with, um, and look forward to the time that we will be meeting together again. God bless you. I really do look forward to seeing all of you once again.